Houston. He does a wonderful job. Does our, he, in the last two years, he's done our Beast Feast. And, uh, man, we had a great time out there. And let me say this. Thank you to everybody that was out there working. And we said thank you over and over again last night to those that come. Uh, but Jesse and them, they had all the meat cooked. Uh, Jackson was a part of that. Uh, Miss Kelly Brogdon, uh, Miss Miranda's mother, uh, helped us out with all the sides. And, uh, man, there were so many people out there serving and doing things. And uh, I thank you ain't enough, but I'm telling you, you are greatly appreciated. Rewards will be in heaven for it. We thank you so much uh, for everybody that come out and helped out with that event. And uh, we had 12 saved last night, and uh, uh, man, uh, they was was over 400 in the barn, because we don't give tickets to all the people that uh, work it and everything else, so uh, I would venture to say we had over 400 that was in the barn last night, and uh, had muddy roads and all that. We got to use four-wheel drives. I need somebody to say amen. It was all good. I had a friend come from Jacksonville, a preacher friend come from Jacksonville. He has a Porsche. Said you might want to drive another vehicle, amen. And uh, he came with Brother Billy, and they come Brother Billy's truck. And I was standing there talking to him. I said, "See, we don't just I, it, forgive me if this offends anybody." I said, "We don't just dress up our four wheel drives and drive them around town. Is everybody all right? They actually have to work, amen." And so we had a great time with that. But Brother Mark Bishop is with us this morning, and uh, he'll be leaving as soon as the service is over, heading back to Louisville, Kentucky. He pastors two churches there, and uh, it does a wonderful job, man. This is a uh, uh, he's a blessing, encouragement to me, and uh, he's been a help to me. Uh, and I appreciate Brother Mark. You give him a warm welcome. Get your Bibles out as he comes. And give the man of God a warm welcome to our church. Hey, man, I am, I am honored to be here and uh, love your preacher. He's coming to preach for me in a couple weeks and uh, kicking our revival off. So, uh, so y'all pray for him and pray for us. Amen. And, uh, and so I figure we'll have to go coon hunting or do something really country when he's up there. And uh, stop sign in front of y'all's church says, whoa, instead of stop. So uh, uh, had a great time at the Beast Feast again. I've been treated just so good and, and welcomed uh, so well, and I, I just love it. It reminds me of the story about uh, the guy who took his beautiful Irish setter dog to the vet, and he said, uh, he said, you cut the tail off of dogs. And he said, I do. But he said, normally you don't do that off a beautiful Irish setter. I mean, that tail is part of the whole thing with a pointer retriever type dog. He said, that, that tail is meant for a purpose. He said, I, I, I want it cut off. He said, well, I'll do it. I mean, he said, I do that. He said, bring him tomorrow. And so uh, he had an appointment. He showed up the next day with his dog. He said, now, when I, when I want that dog's tail cut off, he said, I want it cut right flush with his back. I don't want anything left. He said, well, that's very unusual. He said, normally we leave a little piece of tail for the dog to wag. And he said, well, that's exactly why. He said, my mother-in-law's coming over and I don't want anything in the house to make her feel welcome. And, um, and so uh, some of y'all will get that in just a little bit. And uh, the problem when you tell a joke like that, preacher, is the blondes will start laughing about, you know, halfway through the service. But, uh, but you guys do know that all blondes go to heaven, amen? Because none of them ever reach the age of accountability. So... Uh, so praise, praise the Lord there. <clears throat> Mark chapter number 10. Mark chapter number 10. I love stories in the Bible that end with a happy ending. Now, you know, all, all the stories in the Bible are there for our example. They're there for our good. 
They're there for our edification. They're there for our education sometimes to know what not to do when we've seen people overcome with pride or jealousy and we've seen what befalls them. Even the nation of Israel, when they turned their back on God, God allowed them to go into captivity. The early church, when, when there was lying, where there was dishonesty, when there was immorality. Sometimes we see stories that, that don't have that happy ending. But I love this story because it just, man, it just makes you feel like this is the way all stories ought to be. But there's some truths and there's some principles in this story and there's some reasons why it ended happy. And the story of your life, whatever chapter you're in right now, you're not at the final chapter yet. As long as your heart's beating, your chapter's not over. And I don't care what the first few chapters were. The good news is it can end well. And so let's stand, if you would, out of respect for the reading of God's word. You can only handle, uh, your, your, your mind can only handle what your bottom can stand, amen? And you've been sitting for a while, so I'm gonna let you stretch. As soon as I'm done reading just a few verses, you can sit down. I'm gonna preach. I'll, I'll, I'm gonna get right in. I'm gonna be like Charlie the Butcher who got a little behind in his work. I'm gonna jump in there and, uh, and get this done. So, so here we go. Look there uh, in, in, in verse number uh, 46. And it says, and they came to Jericho, and as he went out of Jericho with his disciples and a great number of people, so there's a huge crowd there, blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, the son of Timaeus, sat by the highway side begging. And when he heard it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. Many charged him that he should hold his peace, but he cried the more a great deal, thou son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stood still and commanded him to be called. And they called the blind man saying, be of good comfort, rise, he calleth thee. And he, casting away his garment, rose and came to Jesus Jesus answered and said unto him, What wilt thou that I should do unto thee? And the blind man said unto him, Lord, that I might receive my sight. Jesus said unto him, Go thy way. Thy faith hath made thee whole. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus in the way. Father, I pray that you would open our eyes to the truths that you have for us today. God, I pray that it get past our mind and it get past our emotions and it get down in our heart and it would affect our soul. And God, the worship has been awesome today. Lord, every part of the service, the prayer time, Lord, just move my heart. But God, we need you to work right now. And Lord, as the songwriter said, all is vain unless the spirit of the Holy One come down. God, we need you this morning to work in this place. And to use my frail thoughts, Lord, to speak to the hearts of your people and to touch your church today. All this we ask in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. amen. You may be seated. The first thing I see here by way of introduction is in verse number 46. I see that he is a victim of his circumstances. He is a victim of his circumstances. In other words, he was blind from his birth. This was not his fault. Have you ever seen somebody that is facing trouble and turmoil and it's not their fault? 
Maybe a child was born into a family that has abused that child and hurt that child. It was not their fault. He was a victim of his circumstances. Sometimes God allows things and we face things and it's not your fault. And it's not the fault of you or even the fault of your parents, but God has allowed it. Maybe it's even the fault of others. And so we see this sad start, but thank God that was not the way that it ended. Don't let your beginning define your ending. The Bible says better is the end of a thing than the beginning thereof and God is not finished so don't quit so if you're a victim of your circumstances today then just stay tuned because I've got some good news for you but then the second thing is I find that there was a voice in the crowd there was a voice in the crowd and in verse number 47 we find old blind Bartimaeus is not a quitter I mean, he was not a quitter. I mean, so here comes this group of people, the disciples, the religious leaders, the, the, this massive crowd and Jesus. And here's blind Bartimaeus and he's, he's ceremonially unclean. He's blind, he's dirty, he can't see. But whenever Jesus passes by, he doesn't get quiet, but he gets loud. And I mean, they tell him, hush, they say stop, they say leave him alone. But I mean, he cries out the more and the more. To see, first of all, that he's heard. <laughs> they hear him. In fact, they try to tell him to be quiet and keep his peace. I mean, everybody's hearing this man. He's causing a scene. He's heard. Secondly, I see that he's really hard. He's stubborn. I mean, picture a Georgia bulldog. Can I have an amen right there? I mentioned in the earlier, time, in the earlier session in Sunday school that Georgia has the best team money can buy. They're a great football team. No matter how you get them as long as you win, Amen. But, but we find, I mean, he's stubborn. He's like a junkyard dog. I mean, just picture that jaw set on your mother-in-law. Can I have an amen right there? And I mean, she ain't going to back down. I mean, she's going to dig in. And, and I mean, he says, I am not going to quit till I get some help. He's hopeful. We know that the word hope in the Bible doesn't mean I think it's going to happen, but he has hope and he believes that it will happen. And then, then I see that he gets help. I'm glad that he does not believe the lie of the devil that says God is done with you, God is finished with you, God doesn't hear you, but he goes back and he says, I, I believe that old verse in Jeremiah, call unto me and I will answer thee and show thee great and mighty things thou knowest not. If my people, which are called by my name, will do what? Humble themselves and pray. He says, I'll hear from them and I'll, 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 I'll heal their, their land. I'm glad that, that he, men ought always to pray and not to think. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. And then he says ask and it shall be given unto you. Seek and ye shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. I, I mean he didn't just quit. But he was a voice in the crowd that was heard. And then we see that there was a victory through faith and can I tell you that faith always produces victory. Without faith it's impossible to please God. He says, without me, you can do nothing. And we like to apply that to the hard things. But he says, without me, you can't do nothing. Not a single thing. Not the easy things. Not, not the mediocre things. Not the natural thing. You can't do nothing without him. And we must have faith. He was healed because we sing the song, Faith is the Victory. But you see, I ask you this morning, have you ever experienced healing faith? And I'm not talking about physical healing because one of these days, all of you will be physically healed because we're going to get a glorified body. I'm not talking about the physical healing that we pray and ask God for. But what's more important is the spiritual healing. Have you ever been healed spiritually? 
Are you broken? Are you hurting? Are you depressed? Are you downhearted? Are you discouraged? Are you fearful? Are you, I mean, all of those emotions that we go through, sometimes we need to be healed. We also need healing spiritually through our salvation. Have you ever been healed in that way? Spiritual healing is imperative. And we find that this man was not just healed physically, but he was healed spiritually because as soon as he was healed, he followed Jesus the rest of his life. See, the problem is, I I don't know that our spiritual healing is complete sometimes, preacher, when we get healed, but then we don't follow Jesus. (laughs) That should be the reaction to the healing. So picture this story with me, if you would. Blind Bartimaeus, he, he gets up that morning like every other morning, And he goes out to the place where he's going to beg. Maybe he's got a stick and he's tapping his way along cobblestone streets that are so uneven. He's picking his feet up so he doesn't trip. And there's animals that have gone through the streets. And so maybe he's tapping along where he doesn't step in anything that he shouldn't. And so he's feeling his way along the street and He goes to his place that he begs on the outskirts of Jericho. Maybe it's the main intersection. Maybe it's the main highway outside the main gate. And if if you're leaving Jericho, you have to go by his way. And he sits down and it's still dark. Of course, everything is dark to him. That's all he's ever known is darkness. And he sits down in that cold Middle Eastern night because I've spent time in the desert in Afghanistan and in Iraq uh, for our country. And, and I mean, it gets very cold at night. Make it up in the 60s and 70s and 80s during the day. But when there's no humidity, I mean, that temperature drops like a rock. 50 and 70 degree temperature swings. And so he goes out and he pulls his cloak around him and he gets to his favorite spot. And he sits down. And he begins to hear the city wake up. Just picture that with me because many times... The other senses of somebody who's lost their sight are even stronger, the sense of smell and the sense of hearing. And so he begins to hear the people wake up and the children begin to play and he begins to hear the shops open up and and the marketplace and he begins to hear the animals being fed as they're uh, they're moaning and bawling for their food and for their attention. And he begins to maybe smell the coffee for all the people that aren't saved. And uh, uh, I'm just kidding. But he begins to smell the coffee and he begins to maybe smell the fish that have been brought up Uh, from the marketplace he begins to smell the meat being cooked he he smells the bread he smells all of those things and he thinks this day is going to be like every other day this day I'm going to beg and this day I hope I bring in enough to be fed you see in Israel there was a welfare system and the welfare system that God had created was this if you were very poor and you had all your faculties about you you would go glean in the field because the Bible says if you, doesn't, if you don't work, you shouldn't eat. So, so they would go to the corners. Brother Robbie, they would go to the corners of the field and they, and they were not allowed to harvest that and they would pick from the corners or the gleanings, those things that would drop from the bag as they picked the wheat. And so those people would go glean. But if you were blind, you can't go find the gleanings in the field. So you would beg. But there was a system to that so that there wouldn't be the shysters. We, we had a, a news special in Kentucky the other day about, about people who beg on the corners who actually go home to nice homes. And they make, the panhandlers make $60,000, $70,000 a year and don't pay taxes on it because it's all cash that's given to them. And they followed some of them home who drive nicer cars than we do. 
So the system was this. You had to be vetted before you could beg. I read this in a devotional the other day, and I went and followed up on it. And this was what I found, and I found it so interesting because I'd never seen this before. Before you could beg in a city, the city would have to give you a begging robe. Brother Robbie, it would be a certain color. It would be a certain design. It would be very thick to where it would shade them during the day and it would keep them warm at night. It would protect them. You could not beg without this robe. This was your permission. This was your license to beg. If you tried to beg and you did not have this and you had not been vetted and each city had a different robe. And so this was everything that he needed. So he had his robe. Jesus begins to travel by and Bartimaeus hears that it's Jesus. How did he know it was Jesus? Because of noisy Christians talking about Jesus. How does the world know that there's a Jesus? Noisy Christians talking about Jesus. The one thing that we want to talk about everywhere we go, everywhere we will ever be, we need to be talking about Jesus and they need to hear it from us. And so Bart knows because of these excited, noisy Christians like you and me, that are noisy in their faith that Jesus is going to pass by. And so Bartimaeus didn't know who Jesus was as far as able to see him, so he just started making noise where he was at. Can I tell you that if you are limited in your mobility, just make noise where you're at and you can make a difference. Jesus hears you. And so he began to cry out. The disciples didn't try to help him because the disciples didn't want to touch Bartimaeus because they were on their way to the Passover And Bartimaeus was ceremonially unclean. And quite ironically, this was the last time Jesus would ever pass through Jericho. If he hadn't caused a scene, he may have never been healed. And so we know that he began to cause this scene, and then what happens? Oh my goodness. The terrestrial turns to celestial, the familiar turns to the unfamiliar, the earthly turns to the heavenly. Heavenly, and then we see a miracle of miracles because although people thought he was useless, God saw his value. And so God likes to use unlikely places, conditions, and people to do these great miracles. Now that's my introduction, and so very quickly I'm going to give you my sermon. And I want us to see what it takes, the three steps that bring healing both physically and spiritually in our life, to our church, to our country, to our family, and to us personally. Here's my sermon. Give me just a moment and I'll be done. First of all, Bartimaeus had to confess his situation to Jesus. He had to confess his situation to Jesus. Now, hear what I'm about to say. It is crazy how fast this story escalates. Blind man, begging, no hope, vision, healed, following Jesus, boom, instant. Can I tell you that your story can escalate when Jesus gets involved? You say, but I've been struggling for 30 years. Confess your situation to Jesus and he can turn it, pow, just like that. The first thing I see in this is he knows who Jesus is because he says, thou son of David... Have mercy on me. He knew his lineage. He knew he was the Messiah. He knew he wasn't just a Messiah, a Savior, but he knew he was the Savior. He was not just a lucky rabbit's foot. Like a bunch of Christians in America use Jesus when they have problems to be their lucky rabbit's foot. Well, there's some three-legged rabbit somewhere that's saying he ain't lucky. 
He was not just his get out of jail free card. He said, Jesus, thou son of David. He knew that he was the healer. But I think equally as important, he knew who he was. And I'm talking about Bartimaeus. He knew that he was blind, broken, burdened, and unclean. The disciples, they're on the way to the Passover and they don't want to be bothered. Let us never be a disciple that doesn't want to be bothered when there's somebody that's broken and blind and burdened around us. He was willing to cause this scene so the unclean could be made clean. Do you really know what you are? I'll never forget we, when we first came to our church, we were just running 50, 60 people. And I mean, we were, I mean, you knew if there was a visitor there. 650 seat auditorium and there's 50 people. If someone comes in that ain't supposed to be there, you know it. And so I'm preaching one day and I give the invitation and there was a lady that pulled up in a brand new Porsche SUV. My son came running in and he goes, Dad, that, that thing's like brand stinking new. It's like 2017. He goes, that's this year's Porsche. I was like, well, good. This lady walks in. She's, she's a, a senior adult, probably between 60 and 65 years old. And she comes in, which by the way, that ain't old. I'm 46. I'm almost there. So that ain't old. She walks in in the prime of her life. How about that for everybody that's between 60 and 65? And I mean, she's got ice everywhere. You know what that means? She had diamonds big enough to choke a mule hanging all over. I mean, out of her ears, there's a diamond necklace around there, diamond tennis bracelet, diamond rings on every finger. And I mean, I figured like she was lost. She's at the wrong church because we ain't got nobody with that kind of money in our church. Even if it's fake, we couldn't have bought that much. She comes in and I start preaching and she starts crying. Comes time for the invitation. She steps out to come down and get saved. And my wife meets her down there. I said, Kim, will you talk to her? And Kim all of a sudden motions to me and I come down and talk to her and I don't know, Kim, you know, we're not able to talk like right in front of her preacher. So I'm like, I don't know what Kim's, you know, why? I mean, th- I mean, this lady's ready to get saved. I mean, it's on. I mean, so I just kind of, you know, like sometimes a preacher does and, and Miss Michelle, I hope your husband never does this, but he's just like, baby, you don't know what you're doing. I got this. I said, do you want to pray and get saved? She says, I do. I said, just repeat after me. And I, I don't know why I did this. I don't do this every time. I don't do this 20% of the time. I said, just repeat after me. I said, I'm a dirty, rotten sinner. She just sits there. So I thought she couldn't hear me because she was old, preacher. So I snuggled up a little bit next to that, you know, big old earring hanging out of that ear. I said, Lord, I'm I'm a dirty, rotten sinner. And this time she looks over at me and she goes, but preacher, I'm not. And then I knew what Kim was talking about. Can I tell you that lady didn't get saved and I just prayed with her because if you ain't a sinner, you don't need a savior. Till you're a dirty, rotten sinner that has no good about you, till you realize that you're fallen and you're depraved and you're, you're worthless and hopeless without him, he's not gonna get involved in your life. You gotta get lost before you can get saved. You've gotta, you've gotta get in step with the master. There was a multimillionaire in New York City who brought in Brunoskanov, the greatest ballet dancer of all times, spent $100,000 to bring him in and donated another $100,000 to the Metropolitan Opera if they would have him perform. He came to town and he wanted to have somebody to perform with him. And of all the big headline uh, uh, dancers that would dance with him, 
he picked the least likely. In fact, all the newspapers were saying that she would fail and everything else, but when the night of the performance came, her performance was flawless. They asked him, they said, how did she do, no, do so well when she had no value before you came to this country? She was mediocre at best and could not stay employed. He said, because she just learned all she had to do was follow my lead and everything would work out. Can I tell you the problem is we don't follow his lead. We don't follow his lead. Guess what? When the preacher wants to sing another song and the Holy Spirit of God's telling him to do it, just shut up and enjoy it. Follow his lead. When God tells you to get on the altar, when God tells somebody else to get on the altar, when God wants to, just follow his lead. Just follow his lead. So we see that there was a confession. Have you ever had that confessing moment in your life? But then I see the second thing. He cast aside anything that kept him from Jesus. I love this in verse number 50. It says, and he, casting away his garment, rose and came to Jesus. Picture this. He's got his garment. He's all wrapped up in it. Maybe he's got his money underneath it where no one can steal it because he can't see if somebody comes up to take his money. When they say come to Jesus, he takes his license, his livelihood, his permission. He can't go back to begging if he loses this. If someone takes it, he's hopeless. He takes the most important thing to him and he throws it away. I don't know about you, but that gets me plumb excited. He said, I don't need that anymore. If I could get to Jesus, I'll never need the cloak again. I don't need a crutch. I don't need a cloak. I don't need a license. I don't need a permission because if I get to Jesus, I'm throwing everything aside. And I'm running to Jesus. What's keeping you from Jesus today? What is your cloak? What is the cloak that you are wrapped in? Is it pornography? Is it a relationship? Is it faithlessness? Is it fear? What is the cloak that's keeping you from Jesus? You understand this is not the first time that there's been a cloak that kept people from Jesus. The rich young ruler said this, Lord, I've kept all these. He says, sell all you have and come and follow me. And he said, I can't do that. Money. Is it your job? Is it your money? What's keeping you from Jesus this morning? I mean, you would get all the way in, but, but man, I mean, you're being called and you know God wants to use you, but, but you're putting a dollar amount on God. Nicodemus, it was his pride. He was too prideful. Well, I'd love to go down to that altar. And I know God's moving in my heart. Man, I'd love to hold my hands up, but I just can't do it. Pride. Maybe it's the world. Demas forsook him because he loved this present world. He loved the things of the world. I don't know about you, preacher, but I absolutely despise April, May, June, and July because at Grace Point and in Louisville, we have this evil thing called sports. And peewee sports start. Yeah, I'm meddling now. 
And I have some of my best young couples check out in April and don't come back till August, but they come back carrying the scars. They come back wounded and sometimes I've had marriages not even make it because they get out. And guess what? You may make it back, but you're teaching your kids. I'm not trying to be popular right now. I'm just helping a preacher friend of mine. I preach it at my church. God told me to say it here so you can like it, lump it, bump it, or jump it. That's what the preacher used to say when I was growing up. Can I just be independent, fundamental, Bible-believing, premillennial Baptist for a minute? And I see that happen, preacher, and I'm like, man, none of your kids are going to play pro sports. I've seen them. They can't hit the ball off a stinking tee. Recent statistic, 0.003% chance that any kid in T-ball will ever play professional baseball at any level. 100% chance that they will stand before God. Amen. That's good preaching even if I'm doing it. You say, what are you saying, preacher? I'm saying, what is the cloak? What's the cloak? What are you carrying? Judas, was it fear? Was it pride? Was it money? Was it jealousy? He kissed the door of heaven. He tasted the blood of Jesus on his lips. He died and went to hell. You can die and go to hell right off a church pew. There's a cloak. And we've got to cast it aside. We've got to say there's nothing more important than him. Throw away your cloak. Throw it away. I... I want you to know that if you'll do that, you're Jesus' prized possession. And if you'll be obedient to him, he will never leave you and he will never forsake you. Let me get, I, I love this story. In the 20s, Great Depression's hit. Family lost everything. The mom was teaching piano lessons. She loved to play the piano. Had a, had a grand piano in their, in their parlor and she would teach piano lessons for a, a penny a lesson. And that helped keep the family afloat and she loved to play the piano and, and they had a super smart son and she was trying to do lessons to raise $20. The smartest kid that had ever grown up in their family wouldn't be Dalton in Preacher's family, but the, the, the I'm, I'm kidding, Dalton. I'm, I'm kidding, buddy. I'm, I, I love you though. No, I'm, I'm just kidding. But, but the smartest kid in the family wanted to go to college. Preacher, all he had to have, they had to come up with 20 bucks and the state would cover the rest. They still wanted to send him to college and she taught piano lessons eight hours a day but they always fell short. One day he came home, two days before college was supposed to start, and he walked out with tears running down his face, and he wrapped his arms around his son, and he said, son, we've got the 20, you're going to college. He started crying, he said, go tell your mom, and he ran in the house, he picks his mom up in the kitchen, he's spinning her around, and he says, mom, I made it, thank you so much. And when he did, he looked in the parlor, and her piano was gone. He said, mama, where's your piano? She said, I sold it so you could go to college. He said, mama... That's your most prized possession. And she kissed him and said, no, honey, you're my most prized possession. He loved you so much, he gave his son to die for you. You are precious to Jesus. And then lastly, he concedes or surrenders to follow Jesus, and I'm done. Here's the sermon, I'm gonna wrap it up, so you gotta stay with me. This is the most important part. <clears throat> Here's what I would have done, preacher, if I could see. I would have gone home to my mom and dad. Said, hey, mom, dad, remember me when you kicked me out? I was unclean. Jewish families had an option of keeping that child in the home, but preacher, the home would be unclean. And most Jewish people, 
would not keep their children, but they cast them out to a camp of blind men. I would go back home and say, hey, mom, dad, remember me? You didn't want me? Jesus did. That's probably what I would have done. I would have really put the guilt trip on them, you know? Dalton, here's what else I would have done. I would have went to all the girls that I asked out that turned me down. And I would have said, hey, remember me? I'm Bartimaeus. I asked you out and I was blind and I turned you down. Now that I can see you're not so hot, I wouldn't have asked you out anyway. Thank you for saying no. Thank God you didn't take me to prom. It would have been embarrassing now that I can see. There's a lot of things that I might have done. Y'all with me? There's probably a lot of emotions that he felt. But in verse number 51, Jesus asked him what he needed and here's what he said. He said, I need to have my sight. Did Jesus not know what he needed? No, Jesus knew what he needed, but he wanted him to know what he needed. See, sometimes our prayers are not what we need, but we just keep praying them. Sometimes Jesus is waiting on us to realize what we really need before he answers the prayer. He's waiting on us. Lord, I need a better marriage. No, what you need is Jesus. Lord, I need, to be, I need a better boss. No, what you need to be is, is consecrated to Christ and be in servitude to the one who's over you and have a right attitude. What you need to do is get right with the Lord. See, see the problem is, We think we know what we need, but the truth is he always knows what we need. And then as soon as he can see, who does he see for the very first time and the very first thing, Jesus? In whom the God of this world hath blinded the mind of them which believe not. You were blind, and then the moment you could see spiritually, boom, he saw Jesus. Jesus opens our blinded eyes, and we should see him first and foremost. The first thing in our earthly salvation should be Jesus. Now there's three blind men in this passage of scripture and and I'm done. There's three blind men. There's two earlier in the chapter and their names are James and John. Two brothers. James and John asked Jesus for the same thing. They asked them for a request just like Bartimaeus did, but they said, Lord, we want to sit on your right hand and we want to sit on your left. See, preacher, they could see physically, but they were blind spiritually. See, there's a bunch of you that can see physically. But if you're not careful, you won't see spiritually what God has for you. But there was another blind man, and he didn't ask for glory and power. He asked for mercy. Bartimaeus was blind physically, but he could see better than the disciples. He said, Lord, have mercy. I'm done. When I was younger and I didn't, hadn't had so many knee surgeries, my favorite thing to do was run triathlons. I, it takes so much time to train and everything for a full try, and I've ran a couple of them that I, I, I didn't get to always run the full triathlon where you run a marathon, you bicycle about 120 miles, and you may swim a, a, a half to a three quarters, maybe even a mile. That t- and it takes, you know, 20 hours to do it, and it's a whole day, and a lot of times around Saturday, and then trying to preach on a Sunday. But I got into what's called the sprint, or the mini triathlon. So, so you run a 5K. You run a 5K. And then you swim about a half a mile, or you may swim the half mile first and then run a 5K. And then you bicycle about 20 miles. It just takes a couple hours to do it. Now it would take me more than a couple hours, but it used to take me a couple hours to do it. 
And the very first triathlon I went to, full, I was not a participant. I wanted to figure out what it was like, and so I volunteered to help. And they said, we need you at the finish line to be a catcher. To be a catcher. I didn't know what that was. I said, what's a catcher? And they said, well, here, here, here's what it is, preacher. Um, or Mark, they didn't know it was a preacher. And they said, so here, here's, here's what it is. When they are coming up that last stretch, they have pushed everything that they have. And when they come across the finish line, in the early days before they had catchers for every runner, they have fallen, broken their nose, broken bones, knocked themselves out at the finish line because they have nothing left. So I said, so what does that mean? He said, well, you're number 126. I've never forgotten that. Your job is to watch for 126. And I want you to come out and come alongside them the last quarter mile. You cannot touch them under any circumstance or they're disqualified. But the minute that they cross the finish line, catch them. And I, I, I said, okay. So I began to watch. And I started running right beside 126. And when 126 got to the finish line, all of a sudden, their knees started folding and they hit the ground. And before they could hit the ground, I reached in and I caught them. And they put their head on me and they cried and said, I finished, I finished, I finished. And I helped them carry over and the doctors began to get them water and everything else that they needed. Here's, here's my story. Here's, here's my closing. We have a catcher in heaven. And the Holy Ghost walks right along beside us. And no matter how dark and how hard things are, when you get there and you start to fall, he's going to catch you. He's going to get you through. Heads are about eyes are closed. What's your cloak? What do you need to cast aside today? What burden, what need, what hurt are you carrying that if you would just put it down, God could use you and you know it, your heart's pounding. Maybe you've never been saved and it's, and it's, and it's fear and I, I don't know what it is, but I, I'm finished and you've listened well, but here's the sermon. How many of you would just be honest and say, Pastor Mark, there is something in my life that's between me and Jesus. There's something in my life that's there and I know it. And Pastor Mark, I pray that today I would throw that cloak aside and I would do everything for Jesus. You know you feel it right now. It's your pride, it's jealousy, it's anger, it's, it's something. And you know you feel it. And you say, Mark, there's something there. The cloak is there. Help me to cast it aside today. If that's you, hold your hand up around the room. Hold your hand up around the room. There's hands being lifted. Hold them up nice and high. We're in church. Hold them up. Hold them up. Let's be honest. You can put them down. There's hands in every section, front and back, left and right. In just a minute, we're going to have an invitation. I want you to come cast that cloak aside. Maybe you need to talk to the preacher. Maybe you need to talk to Brother Dalton, one of the staff. I don't know. Cast that cloak aside today. But here's the second question. If you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and that cloak of sin has never been removed from you, let today be that day of salvation. Let God do something in your heart. Let's stand to our feet if you would. Our heads are bowed. Our eyes are closed. I'm going to pray. And as soon as I'm done praying, if God's spoken to you and you've raised your hand and you said, I need to come. I need to cast that cloak aside. Leave it at the altar today. No turning back, no turning back. Father, have your way in this invitation. Thank you for this church. Thank you for the preacher. Thank you for the opportunity to be here. But God, this is the moment 
when we decide whether we're going to stay where we're at, whether we're going to be noisy enough and stubborn enough to get the help we need. God, I pray that no one would miss the chance today. All this we ask in Jesus' name, with heads bowed and eyes closed. As she plays, if God has spoken to you, would you step out and come? Would you make your way to this old-fashioned altar? There was hands in every section. Do you need to come? Do you need to come this morning? I know it's Sunday morning. I know that maybe you say, well, we've already had a, a service. The service has already been good. Hey, do you need to come and cast that cloak aside? Do you need to come and lay it down? Lay down that pride. Lay down that fear. Lay down that hurt. Lay down that brokenness. Lay down that pain. Lay down that sorrow. Lay it aside. Maybe you need to talk to somebody about your salvation and you say, man, I'm not even sure that I'm saved today. I, I, don't, I don't have a relationship with the Lord. Would you come? Would you come and cast that cloak of sin aside and let, let, let the Lord have it? Make you brand new. People are coming. If God's spoken to you this morning, would you come? Would you come and cast it aside? Oh, you can hold on to it. Maybe you need to confess that you've got a problem. That's where it starts. And say, Lord, I can't fix this. I can't fix my marriage. I can't fix my kids. I can't fix my grandkids. But Lord, I know you can. Would you come this morning and get some stuff fixed in your life? He can fix it. He can do it. He can work in your life. Would you come? People are still moving. Just, just, just push your way to the end if you need to come. Heads are about, eyes are closed. Did God speak to you this morning? Head still bowed with me. I love that passage of scripture. I, I love to preach out of it. If you've been here any amount of time, you know that. Brother Mark touched on this, but I want to go back to it. Blind Bartimaeus had a chance, an opportunity. If you follow out scripture, this was the last time Jesus passed through Jericho. This was it. He, he mentioned it. But this was it. He set his face to the cross. He went to the cross. He died. He finished it. Bartimaeus had a chance. Maybe you're sitting in here this morning. And if you are honest with me and honest with the Lord this morning, he knows, I don't, but if he was honest with me this morning, say, preacher, I don't know where I'd spend eternity if I was to die right this moment. If that's you, we're all standing up, so I'm going to ask you to do me a favor. Say, preacher, I don't know where I'd spend eternity right now. I want you to just lift your hand up. I'm not going to send anybody to you. I'm not going to embarrass you. I just want you to realize today's your chance. I want to help you if you'll let me. But you've got to be honest. You've got to be honest with yourself. You've got to be honest with me, preacher. I do not know where I'd spend eternity if I was to die. If that's you this morning, just lift your hand right up where I can see it, and you can put it back down. Is there anybody in the building, anywhere across there, anybody? 
Say, preacher, pray for me. I do not know where I'd spend eternity if I was to die. Just lift it right up and you can put it right back down. Is there anybody like that anywhere? All right. For those of you still heads bowed and eyes closed. The invitation, the challenge was to cast away the cloak. Can't do it for you. That's something you have to do. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, I'm thankful. Lord, for this morning, I'm thankful for your man. Lord, I'm thankful for your word. God, what a challenge to us. Lord, if we got honest, everybody in this building has a cloak. There's something that's keeping us from reaching our full potential with you. There's something that's keeping us hidden from the crowd, something that's keeping us in the ditch. Lord, I pray this morning, Lord, that some cloaks were cast down around this altar, around this building. Lord, I'm thankful for the preaching of your word. God, I pray, Lord, as your word says, it will not return void. We know that. Isaiah tells us it will not return void. So, God, we're trusting you to continue to do a work even after we leave this building. Lord, I pray. Lord, if there's anybody here that didn't raise their hand, anybody here that didn't settle it, Lord, on this altar, maybe somebody that's saved, Lord, I pray, God, that you would give them the courage, Lord, to finish what you started this morning. Lord, realizing, God, you passed by us today. Offered us an opportunity. God, I pray that we take advantage of it. Lord, we love you today. And thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.